Hello and welcome to the Miko Bits show and I am your host Miko Bits. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I have Brian Spector who is a founder of Credo. So Credo is an important, amazing and deep cryptography project and it's working on an idea that I like to think of as institutional DeFi. So the question becomes, hey, what, what does that really mean? So before we get into it, I just wanted to comment that this video is for information and entertainment purposes. It's definitely not intended to be investment advice. We are going to talk about DeFi protocols and so seek a duly licensed professional if you want investment advice. You know, further disclaimer, uh, my venture fund Gumi Cryptos Capital is invested in credo so you know just want you all to understand those basics so um, what I wanted to talk about really quickly is you know how the model of custody is changing in cryptographic assets and I think what we're gonna learn from Brian is a little bit about what their technology is doing to transform the sophistication level and the available cryptography uh, for this kind of custody problem in crypto. So uh, let's uh, let's get into it. But before we do, before we start, if you're interested in Bitcoin and blockchain, please consider clicking that subscribe button and also click the bell so you can get notifications about future videos that I might post. Thank you. So uh, let's get straight to the show. So Brian, uh, Brian Spector, welcome to the Miko Bits show. Thank you for having me, sir. It's a pleasure to be here on this hot, sultry night in London, England. Okay. Um, yeah, fantastic. yeah. I hope the weather is great and fantastic where you are too. It's, it's um, sunny California. All right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I think I'm. I'm. I'm a little overheated because I'm looking at the. Uh, the action going on in the YFI balancer pool and and all this stuff going on curve. And I'm like, I think we live in an alternate universe here, man. What is going on? I uh, I checked the contract on Etherscan and I was like, this thing has 30, 330 million in it. And I was just, I cannot believe how big this um, and fast this whole space is blowing up. Yeah, uh, Wi-Fi uh, is an incredibly interesting protocol. And of course, one of the things that's amazing that I've been joking with people about on, on crypto Twitter is I've been joking with people about, uh, I think, I think uh, today I tweeted out, uh, I can't wait to use my governance tokens from DeFi to vote on improvement projects, you know, uh, project improvement proposals, right? And, and then I yeah. and then said said no one ever, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it, it, it's it's really it's crazy, right? Like I mean, people are buying Wi-Fi, which is a governance token, you know, and they're kind of pumping the price up. So, uh, what's your take on all this? I just, I'm, you know, every day I'm sort of blown away by something new. I mean, like, you know, I looked and it was, I mean, it's gone up to like 1200 bucks and like, you know, Andre even says like, you know, this thing has zero value, right? Like, I mean, you know, and I think his meme is like test in production. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, the fact that he's got 330 million in there, but his meme is saying, you know, test in production, which basically means like, I haven't QA'd this contract, right? 
which of course didn't stop me from putting a little bit of money in, into the whole thing because mm. I'm I'm just insanely reckless and I hope my wife doesn't hear that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so, but you know, it 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 kind of just shows you the power of of the speculative nature of of you know where people are looking to make money and have economic opportunity and the fact that in our current financial system, these kinds of opportunities are so rare and, and far between that um, you know, people will gravitate towards these kinds of new and open and accessible protocols and programmable money because um, you know, if, you have, if you have the ability to read the code in the contract and you can parse exactly what it's saying, then actually it made a ton of sense. And you were sort of like, okay, well, this is a pretty interesting mechanism here to create this sort of liquidity feedback loop. And a speculator in me would say, well, you know, there's a, there's a big chance that this thing will go up. I was shocked by how much, but um, you know, people are looking for yield and, and um and, you know, we got to put food on the table and that kind of thing. So it's not surprising that, that um, you know, the space is exploding. It's exploding in ways I didn't anticipate and in sort of dimensions that are really unusual and strange. But I, I mean, that's what makes it an exciting time to be in this space and just to just be alive in general, you know, if you're working in, in, the, in the crypto space. It's oh, it's, ex it's super exciting. Uh, it's really fun for my show. Uh, I had uh, Nodar Janashia from Zapper Protocol on. Uh, I love Zapper. Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah, I'm going to have uh, Stani from uh, Ave, the Lend token. So we're going to have some great DeFi guests on our show. So, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. We're going to have Teller protocol on. So we're definitely kind of going through yeah, the paces here, getting yeah. some of the some of the giants of the space to kind of speak to the excitement that's happening. So, you know, I, I really uh, I'm excited about decentralized finance. You know, so what I'd love to understand a bit is, you know, you're you're the founder of a company called Credo. So, you know, just tell us a little bit about what you're working on and then we can kind of fold it back into this uh, DeFi conversation. Sure. So um, we started off. Um, so we're a team of, of cryptographers. My last company I built up um, was a company that sold uh basically uh, software development kits to do embedded cryptography in silicon. So we sold them to chip manufacturers like IBM and Intel and Schlumberger and Siemens. And, and, uh, and this kind of, my company was starting to just kind of turn the corner as when the cryptocurrency and uh, uh, sort of first wave exploded. And, and at that point, I sort of had this existential crisis. I'm like, you know, I really want to get into this space and I'm selling low level, uh, you know, run times to chip companies, just like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Um, I finally exited out of that company in 2016. And the guys that the, the cryptographers that helped me build that company, we all collectively said, you know, we want to jump into the cryptocurrency space. What's the big billion dollar problem that we can solve? So we started taking a look at, at kind of custody, you know, which is at the time it was really sort of focused around how big and secure my ultra, um, you know, dungeon like layer of a vault is where I can print off your private key, put it on a piece of paper, put it behind, you know, in a Faraday bag 
and you know in some bomb proof enclosure and that's you know the best yeah, security I, that you're ever going to get i don't know if my audience is that familiar with kind of bank grade security but you know one of my friends uh, actually used to be one of i think five key holders for wells fargo bank and you know they they're they're prodigious users of paper wallets right they they use you know they use kind of safe deposit they use uh sort of it's a, a lot like mission impossible they have those kind of laser protected rooms. It, it, like, totally you know like, like it's all exactly that's what that stuff looks like professionally yeah but it's a it's complete theater it's total theater it doesn't bring you any additional security if you it's almost like we've taken a step backwards because here we've got this programmable decentralized money but let's go ahead and centralize the storage of these private keys into one uh, entity's operation. You're talking about and, like a Binance. Yeah, well, I just basically any custodial operation. Or Coinbase. That, or Coinbase. I don't want to single anybody out. I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean like Zappo. Zappo, which got sold to Coinbase. Great, great example, right? They, I mean, they painted this mythology. It's like, you know, on their website, they had like the picture of the, the steel vaults and the Swiss bunkers and the disused military silos and the Alps. And I was like, ooh, that's like amazing. But there's no way to actually protect against the people element, like and the insider threat. And, you know, these are, these are really complex systems that when you start getting humans involved, it really is... Is it's very very hard to control. It's like that scene in Jurassic Park where you know, like um, Jeff Goldblum's character is like, yes. "Oh my God, you brought you brought back the dinosaurs. Life will find a way." Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Mistakes will happen when you've got people involved, and if you actually, if you know anything about enterprise cybersecurity architecture or kind of having kind of grown up in, I guess, enterprise cryptography you would never centralize all your private keys in one centralized storage medium like that. That's just bonkers. And so we were kind of going like, is this the best that this industry has? There's gotta be a better way than doing this. And so um, about this time, a, a, a body of academic research started coming out called multi-party computation. Yeah, well, actually yeah, multi-party computation has been around for a while, but sure. it was this, it was this particular body of research about multi-party computation that was being applied towards cryptocurrency wallets, which we all, me and my team started getting really excited about. So it's probably worth like mentioning what is multi-party computation? What does MPC stand for? Yep. Yep. Um, so this is, this gets wacky. This starts going down like the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole a little bit. And I hope I don't turn, turn anybody off. Um, but at a real basic level, how you, when you open up a Bitcoin wallet, like Electrum on your desktop, right? There's a private key that controls the actions of your Bitcoin wallet. And basically you have to sign a transaction, create an electronic digital signature with that private key and put it on a, a Bitcoin transaction. So now it's got this signature and then you feed it to the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin validators or miners or other nodes um, basically will look at the public key, verify the signature and say, okay, yeah, that thing was created by a private key. It's a legitimate transaction. The UTXO is there, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Let's send it on its way. But that the core of it is that signature. Now that's also where, you know, people, 
require you have to use this private key right to generate yep. this signature which yep. is now you've got this custody problem and you know it's really hard to manage these private keys etc cetera, etc cetera. so what npc does is it it is now the second way you can generate a signature a digital signature as if you had a private key in your hand but no private key exists sure. so it is as big a breakthrough as public-private key cryptography, but what it enables you to do, what, what it enables a group of computers to do is collectively start talking to each other. And let's say these computers are spread all over the world in different data centers or whatever. It's like we start throwing big prime numbers back and forth at each other, and you run about halfway through the protocol, and what will happen is you generate a public key just as if... You, I was sitting at my computer with my Electrum wallet with a private key, and then it generated a public key, sure. but no private key ever existed. It's just these network yep. of computers kind of talking to each other, sure. out comes a public key. Yep. And if they keep running the protocol and you all input the same thing to be signed, like a Bitcoin transaction, at the end of the protocol run, you will get a signed Bitcoin transaction without a private key ever having existed. And this is the crazy part, right? You feed that signed Bitcoin transaction to the Bitcoin network and it goes, this is cool. This looks, touches, smells, tastes, just like it was signed with a private key, even validates with a public key. Yep. But again, no private key ever existed. Yep. Now, the, the uh, audience out there is probably going like, well, so what? Well, the so what is, is that when you have a private key and you have that kind of centralized cryptographic primitive, like one thing, yep. like a key on your key ring, and I steal the key on your key ring, I got a car. But if I actually have to go and break into like 10 different people's houses and grab their key rings in order to make the key that starts your car, it's orders of magnitude harder it's to like, hack uh, and break. It's like launching the nuclear, nuclear missiles, right? You need oh, all the keys. Totally, totally, totally. So this, this, body of academic work that started really getting produced in, around 2016, we all just got really turned on by and we're like, damn, this is a way to actually solve the custody problem. Because yeah. the other big pro problem that you have is when you, you know, when you enroll the services of a custodian in the cryptocurrency world, it's not like I hand them my, my private key and go, hey, man, you know, hold this private key for me, like a like a gold bar custodian, you know, like I take my gold bar to a custodian. I'd be like, hey, dude, hold this for me. That doesn't happen in crypto. In crypto, what actually happens is in order to engage the services of a custodian, I actually have to action a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain and send them all of my Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's not like they're even like storing my private key securely. They're no, storing theirs. their private key. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I agree. So that's not even like a regular custodian. That's like a, that's a bank, you know, that's, that's like a depository organization. And so we just thought God, the levels, the inappropriate levels of trust that you have to hand over to these organizations who are, by and large, at that time, weren't even regulated. It's just like, there's got to be a better well, way. It's, the thing that's amazing to me is that like Satoshi solved the problem of third-party trust from the perspective of the fabric of a transaction network, right? So if you look at it from the, so the network fabric is trustless, right? Uh, in quotes, in quotes, it's trustless, right? But yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing that he did not solve whatsoever is the is the custody issue, right? Which is that it's key management, well, yeah. Because yeah, because the law there's there's only two laws of Bitcoin 
that every single security problem of Bitcoin have, have all gone through these two fundamental laws, which is just public-private, right? Which is that if you send someone a Bitcoin, like whoever it was that that was is going to get the Bitcoin and it's pretty irrevocable, right? So that's one of the, the laws, which is be sure you're sending to the right place, right? That's A. And then the private key, the law of the private key, right? Which is if someone has a copy of the private key or or the only private key, whoever has the key is the owner. Like that's full stop. There's nothing else to say, right? So, you know, to me, Credo sounds like a fundamental base layer innovation on top of what Satoshi has to offer, right? Because he, he's very he's very interested in decentralization. He's very interested in kind of trustlessness, but he really didn't solve a problem on the layer of like uh, asserting ownership over cryptographic assets. No, no. But you know what? I mean, give, let's give the guy a break. Okay. So he, he solved <laughs> in major one little thing like programmable money. Okay. All right. But so, but he, yeah, but he, but he, but then he left, he left this massive, you know, gaping hole as big as a barn door around how do you secure the cryptographic primitives that make that whole system I mean, system to, me, same, to right? me, like, it's fine. And the reason why it's fine is, is I'm very focused on white papers that's, that present what I call the problem solution dyad, right? And so if you yeah, look yeah, at the yeah. problem solution dyad, what what he asserted was very simple, right? Which is he said, well, look, you know, we're trying to get a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, right? That's the economic pain, right? The discomfort. and But we want it to have uh, not not have a dependency on the need for trust in a third party intermediary, right? So he's so he's really asserting that. Now the thing that's so amazing to me about the credo technology that you're describing with MPC is that it so spiritually and logically extends Bitcoin, right? Because you know what he's saying is he's saying, well, in order for us to transact, right, that's one topic where you need an intermediary. So the question is, can we have an intermediary, but can it be trustless? Right. So then the thing that's important to understand is that there's an entire other domain that's not about transaction processing. It's actually about custody. It's about who owns the thing. Right. And that feels like something that desperately needs a better solution involving something that's more trustless the way that you're describing. So thank you. Um, that's what we've been working on, basically. So so we kind of just dived headfirst into this MPC world. And then it was like all of us going down the rabbit hole. So it's, you know, I've got a really talented team behind me. And as we kind of got to grips with understanding all of this, we're like, God, this is fundamentally going to change the game on, on custody. But, but custody brought forth another bad thing into the cryptocurrency world. It wasn't just that, hey, let's centralize and, and hoover up all the liquidity into this kind of walled garden, right? The other thing it did is once you remitted your units of value into that walled garden under the premise that, hey, man, they can take care of their private keys better than I can take care of my private keys, it was really hard to get your liquidity out. It's no, you know, you'd have to go through, okay, I got to call somebody just like a normal custodian. But the problem is you lost the immediacy and accessibility of your units of value. So you can't trade, you can't stake, you can't, all, all these things that are exploding in DeFi now, if you've got those assets locked up in a traditional kind of cryptocurrency like custodian, storage. like cold storage, it, it ain't happening. You you can't get your assets assets to engage in those economic opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. So 
that was that's the huge issue. That's actually the unintended consequence of what has really kind of been proliferating in cold storage since 2014. And so we we started kind of double clicking down on that. And like you know, any good product manager, I started going to basically big institutional players. Like, okay, why aren't you investing in the cryptocurrency space? What is it about cryptocurrency custody that is you know turning you off? And it was really it was all about that. It was about you know. So we don't know these guys. We don't know what kind of systems they have in place. There's no way to audit what they're doing. Um, you know, in terms of the efficacy of their operations. And it's just a big, it's a black box. And plus, if we put our assets in that black box, they're really hard to get out. So no thanks, we'll continue to trade stocks and bonds. So the, the mission that we took upon ourselves was, can we decide, can we design a custodial platform that actually steals the best bits from blockchain in terms of using a consensus mechanism to drive an MPC network. Yep. Basically, could we use another blockchain to serve as an Oracle that would drive that collection of decentralized computers to do something like either make a public key so we can make a wallet address or I'm to with you generate 100%. a signature. I'm with you 100%, except for the one bit where you said Oracle. I think that's a crappy word to describe it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's gotten a bad, you know what? Because I don't know of bad. any other word to word. just- Don't use that okay. word. All right, yeah. You've actually you've actually slapped my wrist before on this. Well, let me tell you why I object to it. Let me tell you why, is that Oracles are used for moving off-chain, weekly proven data onto a blockchain in order to perform things like computation, trusted computation, right? And so because of that, an Oracle is sort of in, intrinsically weak- A weaker, and, and, yeah. and fundamentally actually unsolvable part of blockchain, right? And when I say fundamentally unsolvable, what I'm talking about is kind of, you know, the laws of physics and information theory, right? Like this has been real, well addressed by like Claude Shannon and, you know, by Werner von Heisenberg, you know, like it's super clear that you can't solve the Oracle's problem in the general case, right? So, so no, my, you can't. it's unsolvable. So my point is, yeah, is, yeah. is, you know, you shouldn't declare it unsolvable when you've solved it. Oh, help me out. <laughs> what do call, I, what do I got? call it that. You should call yeah, it yeah, something it's better. Yeah, basically a blockchain, what it is. So it yeah, is. okay. So it's blockchain so, with multi-party so, compute. Yeah, so can, the, can these multi-party computation nodes that by themselves, in and, in and of themselves, they are decentralized, right? Because yep. that's you have to for multi-party computation. Yeah. Can they can they be driven by the actions of what is actually taking place in a blockchain? And that is the design ethos that that we undertook. We're like, okay, actually, what's really interesting is that if you if you take away the um, the uncertainty of who's actually controlling these nodes yeah. so that you make them programmable vis-a-vis -vis by what's happening on the blockchain in an immutable layer and you have trust in that blockchain then this thing you know becomes incredibly ultra secure particularly if you start applying um uh incentives and rewards around the validators who are running this sure, particular sure, blockchain. sure sure so you're really talking about a consensus network that is providing a service of multi-party computation in service of kind of creating kind of cryptographic determination of 
custody. So I, I guess for me, the thing that is, I think, really important to kind of get to now is, you know, I think for the audience who's sort of relatively new, you know, this is sort of a Harry Potter mumbo jumbo. But I, I would say that the thing that I'd love for you to dig into next is kind of like, so what's what what are the implications right so what i'd like to kind of talk about is i'd like to talk about something that i like to call uh institutional DeFi, right because to, to me the thing that's really interesting about what's happened with cryptographic exchanges is is the problem that you've effectively solved is this binary problem and the binary problem is is that you have a thing called a private key whoever has the key or however many copies of the key like whoever has a copy of the key is the owner right according to the blockchain yeah. blockchain yeah. perceives that person as the owner right so what you've done is you actually created a scenario where there isn't that kind of unitary owner and so then the question becomes well what are what are some really interesting side effects what are the beneficial side effects of not having that problem right because to me like it's like uh, in a video game if you have like this magic key you know like it's, yeah it's got like holy light shining on it you know and and when you hand it to the other person you know it plays this music and like the light <laughs> shining off this key right because something really crazy is happening right like you're, it's like excalibur right so i guess right, so, so you you brought up harry potter because yeah, it's sure. so funny because we you know what the Horcrux is in Harry Potter, yes, right? You absolutely. know, yeah, okay. We almost named the company like Horcrux, and we're like, "Now, nah, yes. J.K. Rowling's going to sue us because <laughs> this is we can't do that." This is where it gets. Now it starts to get really, really weird. So imagine you create a wallet with with this consensus-driven MPC network, yep. and somebody funds the wallet with let's do easy math, hundred UTXO. Like, let if you use the underlying base accounting mechanism sure. of the underlying asset that you're going to use, right? So if, if you had this other blockchain that effectively was tracking an ownership right over that 100 UTXO, yep. then it starts to get really, really interesting. Then I could go, you know what? I'm going to transfer some of this UTXO from me to you, Miko. And yep. um, I'm going to create a digital signature you know, we we're talking about public-private key, but let's just say for easy, easy sake of understandability, I do have a public-private key pair, but it's a it's a special kind of private key that I use to sign transactions on this blockchain that basically give instructions to this MPC network. So That's I, right. I right. basically that doesn't have any keys. So I go right. ahead and I sign that transaction. The validators on this network go, yeah, all right, yeah, Brian actually now just sent fifty of that hundred UTXO over to Miko. The interesting thing that's happened here is basically if you go to that MPC network now and say, hey, boys, I want you guys to collectively form an opinion, get consensus, determine by looking at the blockchain that I am the owner of 50 of this UTXO and generate me a signature on the Bitcoin blockchain because I want to send this off to my ledger wallet or, you know, my mom who's not on yeah, the Credo network. Yeah, settlement. Right. Let's do a settlement transaction, moving that that UTXO out of a credo instantiated wallet. Well, that's exactly what those MPC nodes are going to do. So when I tell people this, sometimes they're like, yeah, that's impossible. You can't split UTXO in a transaction. What are you doing, man? You sawing off half the key and give somebody half the key. And it's like, no, this is possible because no key actually exists. And. So that has implications in really kind of two ways. One is that if you have a fast finality blockchain, a different kind of blockchain that's not dependent on proof of work and 
you're you're willing to accept some some trade-offs for performance and you actually make it very very specific as to what the use case problem that you're solving is this becomes a mechanism for really really solving the problem of fast payment and delivery of digital assets yeah it's so you create a secondary highway in which these digital assets can move from one party to another counterparty so that that is a, a so the first huge... thing you get is you get like massive performance so that's one yeah. one benefit so yeah great, good so let's let's continue to kind of enumerate benefits right because obviously you kind of described this kind of horcrux concept right so you know that's that's definitely a good thing because there's kind of this traditional notion that like ownership is this kind of black or white thing right but you know obviously you've created a much more sophisticated concept of ownership so you know what else what else do you get out of this paradigm well the other thing that you can get out of this there, there's a couple more things but the other thing that you can get on the, this paradigm is that you can now start applying this to DeFi. so one of the just is a simple example. One of the big problems in DeFi, of course, is who's got the admin key to the smart contract, right? Yeah. So now you can have a secondary set of rules and consensus drivers that basically say, okay, there's a super layer of um, uh, basically administrative functions that kick into gear upon these certain things happening that if this and only this, these, these mechanisms happen, we will go ahead and generate a signature that, you know, um, either closes down the contract or invokes some other thing or, or moves funds or upgrades the contract, wh whatever we have to do. That's right. But if and only if uh, a quorum of other folks agree to this. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. So I like what you're saying, right? You're talking about a kind of a horcrux, right? Because because the thing, the thing that people saw in, in one of my videos, I described a smart contract as being a vending machine. Right. And the thing that's so interesting about vending machines is that like, what are the stakes? Typically the stakes in a vending machine are like, oh, I put in a buck 25 and now I want my granola bar, you know, and then the granola bar doesn't come out of the vending machine. So you're like, ah, yeah, I'm going to shake the machine, you know, and, you know the things <laughs> which hanging, always works hanging yeah. by that little curly metal hook. And you're just trying yeah. to get the thing, you know, <laughs> but like. You know, but there's smart contracts out there that are holding, you know, like, you know, in, in things like, like 330 million dollars. Right. Yeah, you, know, exactly, yeah. you know, that's yeah, exactly. So. So the point is, is that like, you know, <laughs> the, you, you know, the, the worst case scenario is when you call the janitor. You know, and the janitor rolls up and the janitor's got this keychain and he's got like these 300 keys on it to the, everything, you know, and then he like finds the key to the vending machine and he opens it up. Right. But like the problem with that is if it's got if the vending machine has got 300 million dollars sitting in it, like, you know, you don't want some dude to roll up and just open it on on one fine yeah, ex day right? <laughs> exactly and, it, you know, and maybe and maybe it's the guy who loads the vending machine with candy or whatever you know like maybe that's the application but like why should that person have like unlimited power over everyone that just feels a little awkward yeah it's it's one of these things about like this explosion of defi i'm just like dude i cannot believe this is happening so that's a big, that's a huge use case, right? Like yeah. if you're going to attract institutional money, yes, that's the kind right. of money into this market that is that comes from Fidelity, that comes from Calpers, that comes from State Street, right? We're talking real money, like not 
not the I don't know whatever it is now 250 billion market cap. I mean, like there's, guys, there's that, ether super whales that have kind of institutional class amounts of money, but it's ether. I mean, it's not. It's yeah, not well, new new green U.S. dollar money coming. Uh, into imagine if you know one percent of the FX market could migrate into the you know DeFi market. What what happens then, right? Like it, it will dwarf the current market cap and you know expand it by several orders of magnitude, just one percent of the FX market. But they're never going to come in to this market if the guy controlling the admin key is the is the freaking janitor, right? Yeah, like yeah. They and don't, not, you know, not not it's not totally pejorative in the sense that like you know obviously no offense to like my school janitor. Yeah, but it, you know, like but, it, but, I, but the model is that right? The, that's the same model. It's the same model, right? So so the you know if institutions look at that model, they're just like, that's crazy. Like why what? would they do that? Like why there would it's they could never a, do that. Yeah, well, it it's could, the phrase is counterparty risk, right? Like counter, it's basically that's exactly the, that's the issue. The issue is is why would I agree to that? That's insane. Like that's really you would never get it past the compliance department. No, ever. And, and 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 if if you did, they should all be fired. Cause yeah, because it, it makes it, no it sense. Yeah, it's, it's just like it makes no sense. Exactly. It's you know, it's that. Okay, what what happened, was that movie? It's it's like it's like that whole like Excalibur key moment in this fictitious movie, right? Which is you know, like here's the golden key. It's all glowing and the holy yeah. music is playing. There's you know, and you're Lady of the Lake over. comes out. Yeah, you're like, man, exactly. this is weird. It's, it's kind of like, <laughs> do we want to handle? It's, it's like the keys to the kingdom, right? It's like why why are we handing that to some random person like that? That feels bad, you know. Like, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so it's kind of the same thing that kind of goes all over crypto. I mean, there's all this kind of basically weird architecture that when you have a, a serious, you know, um, institutional regulated player and they're out there and they want to come into this market, it's those things that they come across. It's like, God, this, you know, we love the whole concept of, you know, the aggregating the yield and, and doing all these things, but they could never come in knowing that, you know, there's one guy that, that's got control of the admin key or whoever it is, that there's actually no sort of audited consensus mechanism that is enabled that will drive a collection of computers so, to generate so, the signature that controls that contract. So let me, so let me, uh, let me kind of poke, poke at you a little one more about this thing. Right. Uh, you know, but I guess before I do that, you said that there's many things, right? So, you know, obviously the custody kind of problem, which kind of relates to this almost multi-sig mindset around kind of securing institutional grade assets is one. The other one is obviously like crazy performance. Right. But you know, is there, are there more kind of like, side benefits that emerge out yeah of I, I will tell you the biggest benefit Ooh. that you can get by it by something like this and it's and it's super boring concept ha. it's called it's called trade credit okay. um it's it's like two mundane words like trade credit what's that well okay so here's another crazy thing about the crypto industry right you ever watch billions you, you ever watch the show billions you know where acts that. from okay so it's great great scene where like this guy's running a hedge fund and he's always calling up his prime broker who has to front him the money to trade on a stock exchange. Right. And that's, that's how hedge funds trade stocks and bonds and, you know, fiat currencies on exchanges. Yeah. They, in the cryptocurrency world, we're the only financial mechanism or medium of exchange where in order to trade on an exchange, 
I have to send them my assets. Yeah. Now imagine if you were That's trading crazy. stocks and you have to send the New York Stock Exchange your assets. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Well, but, I think so the thing that's crazy, the thing that's really crazy too, is that uh, that it doesn't actually even come with like a contract that provides legal protection, right? So if you if you they're read, unregulated institutions. Yeah, if you read if you read the user <laughs> agreements of these exchanges, like a Binance or a Coinbase, like if you read the user agreements, the user agreements basically say you have no rights and you can lose everything. And yeah, but bad. if you lose everything, we agree to one arbitration hearing. Good it's luck. Not our fault. <laughs> yeah, so, those agreements are crazy, right? So as far as legal protection, you know, like when you're handing over that Excalibur key. You know, like, like, bye bye, right? like that. So, 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 what you're saying is, you're saying that an institution can trade on their favorite exchange, but without pre-funding the wallet, right? By so they 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 hang on to their funds in a yeah. In a, so, so imagine imagine if we could like you, basically what this system makes available is the fact that I can create a wallet, I can put Ethereum and Bitcoin, whatever else that I want in yep. it. And because of the nature of the way this thing is architected, I can, I can in, uh, essentially enable a counterparty to have a view, an up-to-the-block current view of what's in those assets and basically have, give me credit, give me trade credit on those assets. So for the first time, essentially a, a, an exchange, a cryptocurrency exchange could say, Look, I, I, I'm connected to your wallet and that I have a view into it. I will have a mechanism where I can get a, alerted immediately if there's any change in balance so, in that so, wallet. So, so he, and I can extend you credit for so, those so assets here, so in the wallet. So here's what I love about what you're saying, right? Which is what I love about what you're saying is, is that the traditional world of cryptocurrency exchange has been kind of like split into two columns, right? The two columns are this kind of so-called DEX column. And then there's this so-called sex column or centralized exchange column, right? <laughs> like these two columns are like diametrically opposed concepts, but like they're both wrong. Like, like so, so the thing that's really interesting to me is when you look at things like, um, you know, so when you look at DEX, like you're seeing these emergent kind of liquidity pooling mechanisms like balancer. You know, uh, yeah, you're that, all, all these automated market making and constant product market yeah, making yeah, yeah. algorithms which, which are, are fascinating. Magnificent, right. And yeah. it goes back to kind of bank core protocol. It goes back to Uniswap. I mean, it goes back to all these kind of like basic mechanisms or mechanics for doing these swaps. Right. But the thing that's so interesting is that that's nothing like the kind of financial trading that you see, you know, on, on, on what are primarily so-called centralized exchanges, right? So the thing that's so interesting about what you're describing in this case is you're describing a use case that is essentially like an institutional DeFi, right? Because when you look at the user experiences of so-called decentralized exchanges so far, like, you know, like you get these really interesting hybrids like IDEX, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm friends with Alex and it's a good exchange experience. But like when you go into the DeFi world, you end up with stuff like one inch, you know, and you end up with stuff that you know, just really. Um, you like, yeah, I mean, I, even, which I love. Curve, you know? I, I, yeah, which is awesome. You know, Curve is awesome. But like, look Dude, at that the is users. the most brilliant hot mess of a UI I have it's ever amazing. seen. You know well, I, I want to party with the cowboy that wrote I that love UI. That. I, you know what I love about <laughs> One Inch are, are the flames. You know, like, like <laughs> that's just great. It's so awesome. But, but 
you know, now take that interface over to like Goldman Sachs and try to get their like yeah. FX. Guys, desk. I want you to put 300 million in here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? The thing that's funny is, is that you're, it's clearly you're asking the wrong guys, right? Like there are guys that yeah. have put 300 million in there. Totally, <laughs> totally. Like, like, there's a, like, I know a buddy who knows this whale. He's like basically getting like 50 grand a day off, off the, um, off that balancer pool yeah. you know what i mean yeah. i'm just it's terrific like, it's terrific it's great yeah. right? but the point being the point that i'm making here is is that like what you're what you've effectively separated is you've effectively separated the user experience layer from the custody layer right so now you can basically take any user interface right and you can kind of without having to hand over your your asset you can basically now kind of trade right so you're effectively kind of depositing into something that's more like a smart contract the way that you would in a dex context right so you're you're really yeah we did we did something you're not pre-funding a wallet you're not pre-funding wallets anymore you don't have to pre on this system you don't have to pre-fund wallets we we intentionally designed a very almost brutally minimalist kind of consensus rule set knowing it would drive this mpc network yeah but the other thing is we didn't we didn't also we purposely chose not to create our own currency. So it, it, what we did is we basically programmed into the consensus rule set um, a minimal basis point charge of whatever you're moving across the network in the in the context of an ownership right. So if I move, you know, 500 Bitcoin from me to you, it's five basis points. You so, know? So, 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 I, so I see what you can do for someone like a Goldman Sachs or like a traditional hedge fund trading desk that wants to get into the crypto space. I totally see what you can do, right? Which is you can really enable them to have the institutional grade security and custody that they're accustomed to, right? And so that's super powerful, right? And that that enables them to kind of use their choice of any kind of exchange infrastructure without suffering the counterparty risk. So like, that's awesome, right? I can totally see also what you can do for these centralized exchanges, which you can offer them a whole bunch of new customers that can come in that are kind of worried about the custody model that refuse to accept the one that exists. But what I'd love to have you kind of reason about is, um, you know, what can you do for the DeFi world? It, it feels like there's some great opportunities. in. in yeah, so, so everything on, okay. Okay, so I, without giving the game away, everything on our, and I'll, I'll try and dance around it. Um, so everything on in our, in our um, network is expressed as an ownership right, yeah. which in itself is kind of a, a form of derivative, right? So imagine you had a, a credo wallet that was completely multi-asset. You could, not that this is like, you know, any big shades, but you could effectively print off a uh, fungible token that effectively says, well, this ownership right is entitled to these assets. And with a, you know, an off-chain Oracle that can give you pricing information, you can constantly carry around these units of value with you across multiple different chains. So now if I actually want to print that unit of value off as a, as a token on Ethereum, I could do it as a, you know, an ERC-20. But I could also go cross-chain and do it on um, EOS if I wanted to. So there's this basically this, this um, symbiotic relationship that you're going to be able to get where if you're hunting for yield, you can do it. Obviously, you know, the Ethereum's 
got quite the economic opportunities kind of locked up right now. But that's not to say that there are not other places on other chains where you're going to be able to, to take that and, and run the ball on some pretty crazy things that, that will happen, uh, un, you know, that we are, are sure something's going to happen on, you know, probably one of the other supposed Ethereum killers, right? So there will be economic opportunities other than just on that one chain with that one specific token type. So, so it's really... So how do I how do I how do I get the credo token? Uh, <laughs> the governance token or the Q token? Oh, so yeah. now you now you're making me give the game away, dude. Um, okay, so good. you you we are we are um, we are we were going to reward users of our platform, obviously. Right. Um, um, and the governance token will, um, you know uh enable you to stake run validators but it, going back to the thing i said earlier the interesting thing and i think hopefully the thing that if we if we kind of have a lasting impact what i'd like to see is the fact that we uh, the architectural decision and the philosophical decision not to have our own coin is the thing that I think will probably, you know, ring true eventually for most people. They'll say that was a pretty pure decision. That in actuality, because the use case was really focused well, now it about. It sounds like you're saying you, you, it sounds like you're saying uh, that you're you're not planning to have one. We're we're not we're not we're not we're not planning to have a credo currency. We'll have a governance token, but yeah. that's not a current that's not a currency. It's not how you pay for gas. But it could right? be like how the Wi-Fi token. Yeah, sure. I, we could only be so lucky. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike. I mean, I, I don't want to reveal too much before we kind of make the huge impact. But you can all we've got some, we've got a very specific set of use cases that we solve for for the institutional players and and just regular retail players that want to secure their assets in a way that enables them to manage their own wallet, engage the services of professional custodians or bring their own custodians, right? So multi-party computation is gonna be the next big breakthrough. I'll, in five years time, most wallets won't have private keys in them. I would venture to say that sure. most wallets will be run the way that we will. So. Um, you know, people are probably looking at me when I say that and go, man, man, you're crazy, but you can, you can take that to the bank. Um, and I think, you know, by, by expressing things as ownership rights that drive that consensus led multi-party computation network, you're able to turn around and do amazing things that fix the bottlenecks within the industry that will enable a huge inflow of capital, the likes of which we've never seen. That's what we're trying to do. We love this space and we want, you know, we want to see it grow and succeed. And we're all, you know, we're all um, motivated, I guess, in our little way to, you know, morph the financial system into something more true, more fair, more honest. Um, and, um, you know, therefore, um, I think that brings a greater level of prosperity to everybody kind of the world over eventually.
No, I like that. And, you know, just my character, the way of characterizing this thing, you know, I don't really take the phrase DeFi lightly, particularly. I think it's a very serious endeavor. Obviously, it's a multi-billion dollar endeavor. It's a, you know, pretty serious uh, group of, uh, you know, technical people and engineers, you know, but I, what I can legitimately say is that, you know, this technology of Credo has a very strong implication and it actually is a very fundamental technology of cryptography that enables kind of new use cases by essentially extending what Satoshi solved with Bitcoin, right? So really moving this layer of the existence of third-party intermediaries, but eliminating the need for trust in those intermediaries in order to perform a function that's essential for the growth of this market, especially among institutional investors, right? Because, you know, when you look at this peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash use case, that's really just a use case. But the thing that's interesting about the plethora of financial services that can be put into the blockchain world, we obviously need a much superior technology fabric for solving this kind of Satoshi problem, right? Which, which is essentially the need to, you have intermediaries, but you don't need to have trust in those intermediaries. I think, and if you talk to these folks at these large fiduciary institutional investors, the kinds that, that would bring the kind of economic, uh, remit the kind of economic units in, into the cryptocurrency space that would increase the overall market sure. cap by orders of magnitude. The thing that they love, actually, is the trustless nature of it all. Um, and if you can kind of... If, you know, what we've done is to take the fundamental basics of decentralization and apply that to custody. And, yeah, and absolutely. I think it's, it's a very I, important innovation. So, you know, I, I think uh, you can check it out. So Q-R-E-D-O, Credo, that's the technology and uh, Credo.com. Credo thank you for the thank you for the plug. sir. absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, Brian Spector, uh, founder. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I feel like uh, we've had a really great rollicking conversation you know, please engage uh, in the comment section. I'm happy to answer any questions or pass them along to Brian, get them answered for you. Uh, you know, if you're interested in this kind of content, please subscribe to the channel. And, uh, you know, and also if there's a way for people to follow up with you, uh, obviously credo.com, uh, any other social? Yeah, we, uh, we've got a, we've got a, we just started up the Telegram coup. We're, we're basically kind of emerging, you know, out of the shadows, I guess. Right. Fantastic. We are app the uh, iOS apps in the app store. We're Wonderful. in uh, the web interface is in limited preview. We're just um, ironing a few things out. Yeah, we go should check be it live. Credo, Credo.com. Sounds yeah. great. And you can find me on Twitter at B Spectre um, or uh, yeah, Credo.com. And uh, I, I'd love to hear from anybody. And um, sir, thank you so much for. The great conversation and uh and i i really enjoyed myself and i'd love to be a guest anytime you want to have me absolutely fantastic and super rich insights from a fundamental student of cryptography and a, and a leader in in our space so th thanks so much brian thanks thanks a lot okay cheers okay, bye <laughs>